Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hi, Dr. Noor. Hey, how's it going today, Cam? Good. Good. I'm excited to talk to you because, you know, it's, you know, health insurance is so complicated. Like even recently, my sister-in-law got a job um, and she was, you know, gave, they gave her her benefits package and, you know, I gave her all these options and I'm like the big brother-in-law, older brother-in-law. And she yeah, sent me, yeah. you know, oh, what should I do? And frankly, yeah. I had to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what's the difference? I mean, because obviously we all that work have, you know, had to choose our health insurance, but it's so complicated. Do you get, it is complicated. You, is it complicated for you? Um, I mean, it was before I'm, I'm now an expert in health insurance, yeah. but prior to that, yeah, it was. I didn't even know what a deductible was. You know, I would be the one like, what is this? Trying to use my own health insurance and not understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I had to go through licensing exams, certification exams. So now I can, you know, explain it to others, but it was before I knew about it. Yeah, for sure. You're, but you're a doctor as well, right? You're a practice, are you a practicing doctor? That's right. No, I'm not practicing in the States. I went okay. to medical school in Bangladesh. So okay. I'm actively licensed there. I do practice abroad, but my uh, in the States, I'm not practicing. I just have my health insurance consulting business. Oh, wow. Cool. And I'm yeah. sure you're busy, right? Again, there's so much going on with healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- what I do is pretty much all year round, but specifically November, December is like open enrollment season. So even though health insurance isn't uh, t- tied down to a specific time of the year, people just think like, oh, this is the time of the year I got to reevaluate or I got to look into health insurance and renew or figure out another option. So it's a busy time of the year, uh, you know, kind of by default. How do you enjoy, how do you compare uh, practicing versus what you're doing now? What do you enjoy more? What are the pros and cons of each? Yeah, I mean, they're two completely different fields. So medicine is, you know, the biological science is, is, is the medical science. That's its own topic. And insurance is really business and finance, more along your lines, you know, more uh, up your alley. So it's two completely different worlds. But I found a way to kind of marry my clinical background to health insurance. Uh, what I do now, I found I, I work with a very specific type of health insurance policy, which is a medically underwritten uh, policy which is typically not what's offered to you guys through employers or on the marketplace. So it is harder to get access to. So I work with a very limited population, but I've learned to, you know, marry my clinical background to this type of a plan. And because uh, being a medical doctor, I can offer very quick health evaluations uh, and eligibility for these type of plans for my clients. What's the audience for the type of plan that you, you work for? Well, you have to be pretty pretty healthy to qualify. So um, it's it's completely different from a guaranteed issue plan, where if you have chronic major medical illnesses or you need, uh, you know, you have high high use of insurance, you wouldn't qualify. But if you're a younger and healthier uh, individual, you can qualify for these type of plans and lock in better coverage at lower rates. So I was uh, on my bony chat. I this earlier today. I put up a question. Uh, about you know possible things to bring up and during this conversation, and I s- made the statement that it's really complicated here. And then I have someone on the team; she lives in the UK, where, where they have u- universal healthcare. And I tagged her and I asked her. Her name is Diva. I was like, Diva, it's probably a lot less complicated there, right? And she she gave me all this information, but it sounds like it's actually not. So you're yeah. so saying that yeah. it's actually, you know, we think here that, you know, universal health care will just make things super, super easy. But she was like, it's actually, uh, from what she said, it sounded like it's actually not super easy either. 
it's it's just difficult. I mean, it's it's difficult wherever, you know, it, there's yeah. pros and cons to every, everything. You know, you think theoretically, oh my God, universal healthcare sounds amazing. Sounds, you know, that sounds, why not? Everybody get free health insurance or everybody's covered. Um, and, and I support that too, theoretically. In a country like, like US, you know, it's operationally and logistically, it's really, really hard to accomplish because one, you're going to need a systemic overhaul. Um, and, and that's just so hard to do with, with a country that's at, you know, as old as, as the U.S. Um, in addition, our economy, our type of economy is going to prevent implementation of a universal healthcare system because we live in a capitalist economy, right? We have private insurance is, is ruled by private companies, just like banks, right? That's a private company. When you have a capitalist economy, private insurance com- companies competing for that business, and that would eradicate universal health care would eradicate the entire concept of private health insurance companies. So, you know, it's just really, really difficult to implement because of the type of economy that our co- country is. You know, just like banks are private institutions, um, insurance companies are also private companies. So, you know, even though it, it's theoretically something that we would all love and, and want to implement, um, foundationally, it goes against the type of economy that our, that our country is. There are two opposing forces which would make it really, really difficult to implement in real life. Um, you know, you need a systemic overhaul and pretty much ignore uh, the economic aspect of it. And perhaps also the, uh, the, those are multiplied because a lot of those companies are publicly traded, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what do you do? Like if you, if you have a system like that, you're just going to tell that company like, oh, sorry, you know, yeah. you can't do they're, business anymore. Yeah. They're beholden to their shareholders versus their, the clients. Um, do other countries have that? So in the UK, for example, and if you don't know, it's fine. In the UK, are their healthcare companies publicly traded? Um, I don't know about about that about that aspect, but I do know that there's several countries, you know, uh, globally who have implemented uni- universal healthcare successfully, um, and and they have each have their own way of implementing it. You know, so it works. It's not that it doesn't work. It, it's they've made it work in several other countries, but I just don't know the the inside workings of how. So I know there are a lot of companies co- countries that do have universal healthcare. The argument for people that are against it here are say that it's those are really smaller countries, Sweden, even the UK, smaller population, and say that that wouldn't necessarily work in the US because we have a much larger, larger, larger population, in addition to the fact that we have states that also make it a little bit more complicated to implement. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that's a great point you brought up there. So in insurance, especially health insurance, is run by state. Um, so it's, it's not federally regulated, it's state regulated, which puts another you know complication on top of things and adds to why insurance is so hard to understand because you have each state having their own laws and bylaws and policies around, uh, around health insurance. And then, of course, we have funding that really affects um, uh, you know, what's offered. So one of the things that, you know, uh, hopefully the Biden administration w- wants to accomplish, you know, the Biden plan for healthcare reform has a few points. One of the points is expanding Medicaid, uh, which is, I think, really interesting. And one that I think out of his entire plan without systemic overhaul, that can be accomplished pretty soon, which is there's a population that falls into this thing called the Medicaid gap, which means they make too much to qualify for Medicaid, which is free health insurance, but they make too little to qualify for a government tax credit or subsidy, right? Which takes off a portion of their premiums, which gives them a a lower uh, health insurance premium. So they're just screwed, you know? So to fill that Medicaid gap um, is something that would require Medicaid expansion, some more extra 
funds funneled into that state to help fill that that gap for that population uh, who needs health insurance, you know? Yeah, hopefully that'll uh, increase the number of people covered. I read uh, today for preparation is the number of people covered uh, are the lowest it's been in close to a decade. The Obama administration's Affordable Care Act increased the number of people that were covered significantly, and that's gone down under the Trump administration. Can you talk about the effect of just general health, uh, what the correlation is between that and, you know, the percentage of people that are insured? Like, you know, I, for example, me, like, I honestly, I have, I've had insurance, but I don't really, I generally don't go to the doctor, but I would assume mm-hmm. that people that do have insurance tend to go to the doctor more and are, are more healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yes and no. That's a complicated question. Okay. But your situation, Cam, I'm going to remove you from the equation because if you live in America and you have health insurance offered to you by your employer, you're really not affected much by these policy changes, okay. right? Because you work for a company that's big enough to offer great benefits, right? But if you work for a smaller company who and your boss can't afford to offer you know, employees health insurance or you're self-employed or you got to figure it out on your own, that's when all of this really, really matters. Because when you have to figure out health insurance on your own, and I'm just going to break it down into classification of two simple options. You've got option A, which is the Affordable Care Act, also known as your state-sponsored healthcare marketplace, also known as Obamacare, right? And you've got option B, which is the private market. That gets really, really crazy. So option A is also a guaranteed issue. So this is under the Obama administration. They said, well, if you've got to figure out health insurance on your own, you shouldn't be penalized for having pre-existing conditions, for having X, Y, Z. So that's that's guaranteed issue. It doesn't matter what your health status is. You're going to be able to get health insurance. But how much you pay for it really depends on your income. So that's when people who make good money, you know, get kind of screwed because they're young, they're healthy, they're making good money, but they can't afford their premiums on the government marketplace. That's when they turn to option B, which is a private market. And there's lots and lots of options there, but I specialize in a, a small little part of the private market, which is the, the medically underwritten plan, mm-hmm. right? But if you have, you know, work for a great employer and you've got it taken care of, you really don't have to, you know, worry so much about, the, about these options. Understood. Actually, you know, I, I actually don't. Uh, I'm, I, 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 uh, I do consulting work, so I actually don't have insurance through my work, which okay. is uh, right. which. Actually, I don't mind because I get it through my wife. Sure. Um, and she works for the board of Edge, so I, I get really good insurance through her. But you're right. But if I if I didn't have her, I probably would have to go to the market. And and right. and for a while, actually, I was uh, I, I was on Cobra. And I w- it was ridiculous yeah. how much I was paying. Uh, I was right. paying a lot of money on on, on Cobra. Why do you think it's so complicated? Does it have to be so complicated? I mean, to me, like, I'm not a tax professional. You know, ta- yeah. tax is, like, really complicated to me. But, yeah, you know, yeah. being an insurance professional, I get it now. So I feel like it's okay. one of those industries that has so many laws and bylaws around it. You have to, like, study and know the industry to, to yeah. be to understand it, you know? That's Understood. how I do. So when somebody starts a job, you know, going back to my sister-in-law situation, can you talk about the... I know they're not all exactly the same, but usually sure. they have, like... The two yes. or three options. One is like a high premium, right? So talk about those three options and uh, two or three options and then like the pros and cons of each. That's a great question. Yeah. So if you're looking at a few options for health insurance and you don't know what to choose, I'm going to highlight three main points that you should be evaluating to help you choose a plan. One is going to be the premium. That's the amount of money that's coming out of your paycheck or coming out of your pocket every biweekly or every monthly. The second point is the deductible. Deductible is very, very important. To me, it's more important than the premium. Deductible is the amount of money you have to pay to insurance 
before they're going to pay you, give you any of your benefits. Okay. So it's in addition to that premium that you're paying. And the third thing is the network. The network is the, is the, the network of doctors or providers or hospitals that you have access to on that insurance plan. And that can be HMO, PPO, and I'll explain a little bit about that too. So premiums, obviously you want to, you know, you don't want to just jump for the one that's the least out of pocket for you. Okay. Just, you know, something that's of, of course affordable between those whatever options, that's premium. Let's talk about the deductible. If you're young and healthy, I'm always to recommend the lowest deductible that you can find. If you have a zero deductible option, go for the zero deductible option. Because as a young person, it's unlikely that you're really going to use your insurance. You're probably going to go once for your physical and maybe once or twice if you get sick outside of that, right? So that once or twice of, you know, you do get sick, you're still coming out of pocket that deductible. Your insurance company isn't paying, right? So the only time you should choose a high deductible plan is when you know that you're going to meet the deductible, right? If you're a cancer patient who has chemotherapy, if you, you know, are going to have a baby that year, if you're expecting gastric bypass surgery or a cosmetic procedure, you know, you know, you're going to meet that deductible. That's when you're going to choose a higher deductible. Okay. And then the third is, is the network. I always, always recommend if you have the option for a PPO, go for a PPO. Okay. So PPO stands for preferred provider organization. And it's kind of like the premium, premium, you know, health insurance plan because it crosses state lines. You can, if you move, you take that PPO plan with you wherever you go. It, you know, it's a, it's a wide nationwide coverage. Whereas an HMO is very limited in the, in the doctors you can see. They assign you a primary care provider who acts like the gatekeeper. So you can only see who they tell you to see, and you're going to need referral slips if you ever want to see specialists, which is really not fun and kind of annoying. So those are the three, three points I would evaluate when choosing a health insurance plan. Gotcha. That's really helpful. And there's also another plan, which is like an HSA, right? Usually there's an like HSA, yes. which is like a savings, savings plan, right? Yes. yes. HSA is a savings. So HSA is typically paired with high deductible plans. And what they do is they offer you, they allow you the option to put away a little bit of money, usually pre-tax dollars, um, to save for that off chance that you have a yeah. deductible to, to pay. But you know, if you really think about it, if you're young and healthy, you're paying your monthly premiums, you've got a high deductible to meet, and you're squirreling away your own money to pay for that deductible. So you've just insured three different times that you're going to pay the insurance company and they're never going to pay your bill. You see what wow. I'm saying? So wow. it's, kind of, it's a trick. I mean, yeah, they, they're saying, yeah, we're going to help you save for it. But so you're just insuring that insurance is never going to pay. You're going to pay 100% of the time. Oh, wow. I didn't think of it that way. Interesting. Right? Because yeah. the HSA that I have, I had three jobs ago. I never used it. You're right. I never used it. But but it, the, I guess this one, I don't know if this is the case with all HSAs, is it did carry over with me. So okay. I am able to use it. Uh, but I don't think that's the case with all HSA. So like even now, even though I have not worked for that company, I still have my HSA. Um, so I can use that for like, you know, like I got a COVID test last week and I, I'm able to charge charge that. But yes, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Um, uh, you talked about universal healthcare earlier. Like, what are your your what are your personal thoughts on universal healthcare? Again, theoretically, I think it's fantastic. But I think being an industry professional, I understand like the inner workings and logistically and operationally just how difficult it is going to be to implement. So I made a few points of, of to summarize, uh, you know, the Biden plan for healthcare reform, uh, and I just wanted to touch on, kind of explain what those three points are uh, in a nutshell, and to, to what extent I I think uh, being you know an industry professional, it's feasible, right? So according to 
the plan, one thing they want to do is have a government-run health plan versus a private plan. So that would entail, so right now, even your state-sponsored marketplace, the um, ACA marketplace, is still not, it's still not a government plan. There's still private plans who participate in the marketplace, you know? So, so what the Biden plan would have is, uh, is, a, is a completely government-run option, government insurance, true government insurance. Um, the second is eliminating the income gap. So right now, your premiums, the algorithm that determines how much you pay for a marketplace plan is tied strictly to your income. So depending on how many, how much percent above or below you are, the federal poverty level is what determines your, your premium is how much you pay for your plan. Um, and then the last thing he wants to do is expand Medicaid to, come, to, to fill that Medicaid gap that we, we just discussed. So my insights are, I think the Medicaid expansion is possible because we can easily do that with state funding, just, you know, pour some state dollars and then that'll fill that gap of that, that void. Um, but a, a fully government run health plan, again, is going to require systemic overhaul. It's going to clash with our economy, right? Clash mm. with the capitalist economy. And then um, again, the income gap, uh, you know, closing the income gap with the federal poverty level, this really depends on us. It depends on the people. It depends on how, how rich and poor the people are. And I mm -hmm. don't know if, you know, healthcare reform is going to be able to dictate that or, you know, make any real strides. So I know you, uh, you, you practice in Bangladesh. How, how is the healthcare system in Bangladesh? Is, is, there, yeah. is there one? Well, there isn't one, but there is one. I guess you could call it pay per fee. So in Bangladesh, it's yeah. you you pay for your services. You know, you pay for your consultation with your provider, your surgeries. Uh, if you can, if you get prescribed a seven day course of, of antibiotics and you can only afford three out of those seven pills, that's that's what you pay. So it's a pay for pay per fee system. It's uh, it's unfortunate, but it's, at the same time, it's less bureaucratic, right? Yes, it's unfortunate, but it's less bureaucratic. There, uh, and as a practitioner, it it's really hard to yeah. accept when you want to help. You know, this is the treatment for your patient, but they can't afford the treatment, so it, it gives it tugs at your heartstrings. But then, even here in America, where we have a healthcare system in place, where we have insurance in place, uh, you know, doctors go through the same thing. Where you want to help your patient, but because of their insurance limitations or their policy limitations, they can't do certain treatments. You know. Is there a country uh, that you think we can mimic that has some oh. of the same obstacles that we have yes. uh, with them? I would you say know. Canada. I would say Canada is oh, a country okay. that we can mimic because we're, you know, in terms of the country size, in terms of, you know, uh, geographically, um, I think that's something that we can model after. Um, unfortunately, our, our system is actually a piecemeal system of different healthcare systems of other countries. So mm. we've studied, you know, uh, healthcare systems in Europe, in uh, you know, North America, in in Asia, and we what was the intention was to let's take the best of each system and make our own, which just didn't turn out so well as as we see. But that was the goal. Okay. So going back to you and what you do, so uh, you advise companies as well as individuals, or just companies? So again, I speak to a very, very uh, small niche. I, I like to work with individuals and small businesses who have less than 10 employees. Because oh. once you exceed 10, you, you file your taxes differently, you know, as a corporation sometimes. And then the tax, uh, excuse me, the insurance laws and finance laws change. So you no longer have the same access to benefits or you have different options as a, as a corporation than an okay. LLC business owner. You, did you grow up in Bangladesh or um, did you grow up here? 
Kind of, I guess. I, I came to the States. I I lived in New York. I'm from New York. So I lived, oh. uh, I came here when I was six, when I was six years old. Oh, wow. But yeah. then you went back and practiced in English? That's right. So I graduated um, from Bronx Science in 2007, and then I went straight to med school in Bangladesh. So I skipped undergrad. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to that as well. It has its own challenges. Uh, and then after I completed medical school in Bangladesh, I came back to the States. Oh, wow. I've, that's so fascinating. Yeah. Is that, is that something you wanted to do or? Not really. I guess it was one of, <laughs> no, who does? I, mean, I grew up in the States and all of a sudden my dad's like, oh, we're packing up, going to Bangladesh. So uh, no, I did not really, to be very honest, but um, I was also very excited about the opportunity of being able to study medicine. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, it was, you know, a dream of mine. So the challenges were definitely there having grown up in, you know, inner New York City and then going to Bangladesh and medical school in a gram with no electricity, no really you know, Which water. Yeah, it was very difficult. And I had, of course, a huge, you know, a language barrier. Having to assimilate there was, was challenging. But every day I was learning. I had so much clinical experience. I was in my first surgery when I was 21. You know, I graduated medical school when I was 23. I had more clinical experience than anyone I know to this day. So all of that was incredible to me. So I... I, I kind of learned to bypass the challenges or, you know, trying to be, look at the positives over the negative because I was very happy learning medicine, you know, practicing and doing surgery. Which ground did you go to med, med school in? So I went to Kumudini Women's Medical College, which is in Mirzapur, Tangail. So Mirzapur is where I, where I lived for six years for med school. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. When, if somebody that completed med school in Bangladesh could uh, or you could you immediately come and practice here or if not what do you need to do yeah so the process is so you don't have to go through med school again thank goodness but you do have to pass the licensing exam in the states and that's called a uh, united states medical licensing exam or us mle um so i did attempt that so i studied when I, as soon as i came back i studied for my us mle for about one and a half or, or two years i think um and i failed by by three points which roughly equates to one one question yeah. but i don't i don't think passing by one question would have done me any good either because i, w- I wouldn't have really gotten any good opportunities for residency so uh, the process is you have to pass your us mle step one step two you have to go through residency training and then you can be a licensed practitioner uh, in usa I used to live in a building in Long Island City, and there's this Indian gentleman who I'm friends with, uh, Kiran. He is literally practicing for the MLE for like two and a half years, three yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, and he was a doctor in India, and he was exactly. practicing doctor in India for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so rough. I think it's an entire world, like being a foreign medical graduate, having to, you know, because it's your foreign... There's so this is like a, I can go into this for years and years, like talk so much about it. But it's the reason it's so difficult. And like, let's talk about your friend Curtin. He's a practicing doctor. Like, obviously, he knows stuff. He, he's practicing. But the reason it's so difficult is when we study again for USMLE Step One, which is the first exam. It's basic medical science, which we learned in like what the first year of medical school. It's mm. so vastly different from medical practice. You know, what you study in school is just so different from the real world. So when we have to go back to that, it's a huge gap. It's a huge gap in education and experience. And mm. mentally, you have, you have a block. Like, I'm a practicing physician. Why do I have to memorize the Krebs cycle again? I did this shit already. You know what I'm saying? So 
it's 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 a big challenge. It's very difficult. Many study for year for de- I've known someone who studied yeah. for twelve years. Wow, that's a lot of studying. Why well, I also remember him uh, watching uh, watching him practicing typing because he never really had to type, and he had he said he had, there was an essay or something where he had to write, yeah. and he wasn't really a fast typer, so he had to practice typing <laughs> for the Emily, and he was like you know in his late forties, uh, learning to type. Um, but yeah, that's. But, you know, we see that with a lot of professions in Bangladesh, you know, lawyers coming from Bangladesh. At least you had one advantage is that, you know, not the language barrier, right? Like you still, you knew how to, uh, un, uh, you can comprehend a complex sentence in English where some of these other guys um, would maybe have a little bit difficult, more difficulty or even just um, saying, you know, I say this all the time. Like I, I speak Bangladesh, I, I speak Bangladesh well, but I, you know, to, to, to uh, explain something that's complicated in Bangladesh, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Or I think the same thing in Bang, somebody from Bangladesh, maybe that's somebody that didn't go to English medium school, like even if you're really, really intelligent and you've been a doctor for a long time, to explain complicated things in English in the English American vernacular is a little bit more difficult for some people. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I guess it's a, it's a good thing, but did it really serve me? Like, that's how I felt. Like, well, at least I can, you know, speak well and have great preaching rapport, but on paper, you know, I can't even pass my test. So they're just like, well, you're garbage. So <laughs> that's, that's what <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. Well, you're still doing well. Um, without it, uh, how often? So, do you still go back to Bangladesh? How often do you go back? I do, I do. Um, I, I don't think I've been back in America, right? You know, for long enough to make it a regular thing. But the last time I went was, you know, end of 2018, 2019. I did like a Bangladesh Nepal study, uh, you know, tour, and I, you know, brought in the new year with my family. So uh, that was really nice, you know, going back. Wow. To see my- yeah nepal nepal is beautiful it's definitely on my list i've been there three three or four times i it's it's my favorite country in the world i love nepal. oh really you have to go you have to go oh wow yeah definitely um nepal and bhutan seem like mm-hmm. places i would really enjoy that not really visited as much as some of these other south asian countries southeast asian countries but definitely on my list so going back to um the healthcare industry in the u.s what are your what are some predictions for you with you know what Biden's trying to do. Do you think he'll be successful, or is just generally in the? Uh, uh, what do you think is going to happen with healthcare in the U.S.? You know, I don't think we're going to see an overhaul anytime soon. Uh, policy changes take time, and they happen in stages. Um, so it's it's a great plan. It's it's very ambitious. I just don't think we're going to see everything happening all at once. Um, and I do come across a lot of people who I talk to excuse me, and they, they say like, well, let's let's see what the new administration brings. Let's see what happens before I make a decision on health insurance or make a change. And I don't recommend that because what you're thinking is going to happen is just not going to happen. You know, it's probably going to be a piece, a policy piece at a time, and it's not going to make any significant changes that warrants you not making an active positive decision on, on your health insurance, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just cautiously optimistic is, is, is what you're, what you're um, saying. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. You know, you've simplified a lot of these things are, you know, again, for me, it's really complicated. Um, I think that, so the, the, if anyone wants to contact you, obviously you have your Instagram page. Um, is there anything else that you'd want people to know about that's going on with, uh, with you? Uh, well, yeah, I'm just working on a lot of big things. I just launched a website, drnorhealth.com. So I encourage everybody to come check that out. Um, it collects a whole lot of resources and I try to make health insurance really simple and educate and inform so you can make a better decision. Just like you said, if you're looking at three options, you don't know what to pick um, and you're still not sure, I really encourage people to just give me a call and let's just talk about it. You know, it takes me like 
10, 15 minutes to really see what you're being offered and just to do a quick check to see if there's anything else out there um, that could be a better fit, whether that's saving you more money or lower deductible or better coverage or covers what you're looking for to cover. Um, so I, I encourage people to just reach out to me and have a conversation about it. It's, it's completely free and on, you, know, you just walk away with some education about health insurance. So if you're just struggling to make a decision, let me know. I can, I can help anytime. Yeah, you also have great information on your Instagram. I love that you uh, you use Instagram and social media, you know, to your advantage because a lot of doctors aren't on there. And I think I'm glad that you're on there. You make it so accessible and the information there is, is so easy to understand. What made have you? Is that conscious for you to just be on Instagram and do things like that? Yes, absolutely. And definitely the pandemic had a lot to do with that because, you know, once I saw that everybody's on their phones, you know, this is the place to be. If you want to be, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're just starting up and if you're if you're not on social media, you're really missing the boat on pretty much everything. You got to go where your audience is and the whole world is on social media right now. So I just wanted to make, uh, you know, information very accessible to, to really everyone. Great. Appreciate you coming on and uh, obviously come back when you have other things going on. would love to talk to you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I'm a huge fan of, of Bengalis of New York to begin with. So it was a real honor for you to give me the time today and, and have this conversation. Thank you so much, Cam. The red and green I beat is always in my heart. Uh, I do it for my people, always in my thoughts. I gotta be honest with diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah, Bengali's in New York, all over the world, uh, it's the bony show, uh, can you handle this, representing the boroughs where the bangles live, from the slang we spit, to the gangs we with, it doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh, I say, hey, come on, can you handle this, representing the boroughs where the bangles live, from the